one of those special Sundays where, uh, for many, it's a, tra- a tradition to go to church service with family. So it might be that we have more visitors here than usual because it's Mother's Day. Uh, so if that's why you're here, we welcome you. We want you to be with us every Sunday, every Lord's Day. We're glad you're with us now, and we hope you'll be blessed for being present. I need to say, of course, hi, Mom. Uh, she's home in New York, uh, I believe, watching the live stream right now. Text me, Mom, if you're watching. Okay, good, good. Um, I don't text during while I'm preaching, as far as you know. But hi to our moms do want to acknowledge our mothers and say that we are blessed in the church here with so many good and godly mothers who've been serving the Lord for many years, or maybe some who are newer in Christ, and we appreciate you so much. We try to be sensitive to the fact that it's also for many the first Mother's Day without mom, uh, after the passing of of your mom, and so we, we certainly desire for the Lord's comfort to be upon you, for his grace and peace to be upon those of you for whom it's a difficult day, a day of, uh, of longing and um, time when we, when we miss our moms. Now, if you're blessed with a godly mom, praise the Lord for that. What a tremendous blessing that is, and so many of you here have had that, and uh, so we appreciate our godly mothers, and we appreciate those who are raising up godly mothers who, Lord willing, will raise up godly mothers after them in the generation to come. But uh, what a joy it is, what a blessing it is to have women in the Lord's church who love the Lord, who have set a great example in the kinds of mothers that they are. And so it's a, it's a good day, it's a good tradition in our nation to have this day, and it's good for us to acknowledge it, I think, in the church. Now, one other thing before I get into the lesson, it was a privilege to baptize Patty into Christ a few weeks ago, and we, so many of you already were aware that she is our new sister in Christ, but we officially announced it this morning, and so once more on behalf of of the congregation, and I try to do this whenever someone is added to the body of Christ here. If I've overlooked anyone, please forgive me. But on behalf of the church, Patty, in the name of the Lord, I'd like to to encourage you, to charge you, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might, to serve Him in truth all the days of your life. Our prayer for you is that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, bearing fruit in every good work. Those are the words of Paul from Colossians 1. That was his prayer for the church, and that's our prayer for you. That's our prayer for each other. And We pray that God will glorify his name in a great way in your life, and it's a joy to be able to serve God together here. We want you to help us to serve the Lord. We want to help you to serve the Lord, and and what a blessing it is to be able to join hands together as brothers and sisters in Christ to help each other bring glory to our great God through the name of His Son, to help each other to go to heaven, and so we, we wish God's 
greatest blessings upon you as, as you serve him here and as we serve him together. Now, when I was a kid and I was in school, used to be anyway, back in the day, our uh, teachers in English, you had to memorize certain segments of classic literature and you had to memorize certain poems. Sometimes you had to recite them in front of the class. I don't know if they do that anymore. It's been about 15 years since I graduated high school, so it's been a while. But, but I remember, you know, I didn't like it at the time when we had to go through the tedious work of memorizing a text. But I am so glad that we did because there are some great works that have stayed with me and are still in my mind and heart after all of these years. And one of them is, a, is from a, an American poet, the uh, great Robert Frost, in one of his familiar works, the short poem, The Road Not Taken. I don't know if anyone else here had to memorize that when you were in school, but it's such a beautiful piece. As, as Frost depicts a man standing in what he calls a yellow wood and looking and seeing two paths and contemplating what path to take. And I want to go through that poem with you. It's a great way to segue into what I want to talk about in our lesson this morning, The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. And it goes like this. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I would ever come back. And I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood and I, now you know the conclusion likely, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. Uh, what a poignant and powerful piece of poetry that is. And I love that ending here as he thought about the fact that he, he took that road, the, the lesser traveled road, and it ended up making all the difference in his life. Well, we can think of our lives as really the sum of the choices that we make. And really we can think of our lives, our whole time here on this earth, the whole reason we're here in this world is to make a choice, to choose between two paths that are presented to us. God has created us. God has given us free will. He has redeemed us, has made it possible for us to be saved by the blood of Christ, and he sets before us his way, the way of salvation, but he allows us to reject him. He allows us that choice. And so we, we can think of all of life, the whole purpose of life here is to give us this opportunity to make this choice, to choose the way of God, to choose the way that leads to life, abundant life now, eternal life in the world to come, or 
the way that ultimately leads to eternal separation from God, the way that leads to death. Now, this is stated in a number of texts in grand ways in Scripture, in dramatic fashion in several texts, and I think none more so than in Moses' words to Israel in Deuteronomy. I want to go to that text here where he sets before the people of Israel this ultimatum. He sets before them these options, and he speaks of them in terms of the blessing. They can choose God's way, which would be the way in which they would be blessed, or they can refuse God's way, and that would be the curse. And so what we find at the end of Moses' life, in the book of Deuteronomy, we have this series of speeches, Moses' farewell addresses to the people of Israel. And God has redeemed Israel out of bondage in Egypt. He's brought them out with a mighty hand. He's led them through the wilderness. Through Moses, he's given them their law. And now that next generation, after the one that came out of Egypt, is poised to go into the promised land to take possession of what God promised their fathers he would give them. And so Moses gives them this final exhortation. He sets the law before them. And then having put God's word before them, he says, now you have the choice. You see, in Deuteronomy 28, he sets before them all the blessings they would have if they followed God's way. And he invites them to follow that. He says in Deuteronomy 28, it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today. Then he talks about all the blessings that would come upon you. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. I love the language there because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. But then on the other hand, he warned them, in fact, at much greater length than the blessings, he warned them about the curses he warned them about the suffering. He warned them about all that the evil that would come upon them if they refused to walk in God's way, if they spurned God's way. And so when you get down to verse 15, he says, in contrast now, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And so then he begins to talk about how they would be tossed to and fro among the nations. And all the hardships that they would endure. And then having done that, he sort of brings things to a summary and he sets before them what their choice would be. And so in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 15, here's the language of the text. He says, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. That's essentially what God has done in creating us, in giving us free will, and placing us in this world, and has said, all right, I'll bless you, and this is how I will bless you if you will turn to me through my son and all that you will have. And then, but on the other hand, if you do not, you see, and he warns us of the frightful consequences of, of refusing to submit to him, but he sets before us, he gives us that choice. And this is what Moses then goes on to exhort them. In verse 19, he says, choose life. Choose life that you may live. Well, I want to take the title for the lesson from that. Just those two words. 
Choose life. Write that down. If you're taking notes, maybe you can draw the little sign like that too. And just put those two words there on that road sign where you see the, the, the choices, the, the, the two roads, the, the, the two paths. Choose life. And I'm going to keep that imagery or that metaphor of road signs sort of directing us. I'm going to think in those terms and say, first of all, the, the, what we've got to do if we want to choose life, if we want to choose the way of God, we have to get off of the path of self and sin. We've got to change directions and get on the right path. Now this is what Moses, I'm going, to, I'm going to use the text in Deuteronomy and Moses' exhortation to the people of Israel uh, to develop our thoughts here. So this is what Moses does. In Deuteronomy 31 and 2, he talks about the fact that he knows that they will spurn God and that they will choose their own way and they will fall into idolatry and God will allow foreign nations to come in and chastise them and carry them away and they will be punished. But, you see, God can use that to bring them back to Him. So He says, Deuteronomy 31 and 2, it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing, and He says, and the curse, which I have set before you, then he says, and you shall call them to mind. You see, that's the idea, is you find yourself now suffering because you've spurned the way of God and you find yourself reflecting on, now, what have I done? Why am I here where I am? Why am I enduring this? He says, so you bring it to mind and you return to the Lord your God and obey His voice. Now, think about that for a minute. When we turn from God, it does bring suffering and hardship into our lives. But the Lord can use those things to get our attention, to humble us, to reflect on what's going on in our lives and realize our need for God, realize our need to change, to turn back to the Lord. It might be you're in a situation like that right now, that you're going through some hardship, you're going through some trial, and that this is something you need to call to mind and think about how I need to change course. I need to turn back to God. And, and if we do that, what will we find? Judgment? Condemnation? What does Moses say? He says, if you turn back to Him, then the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. See, He'll bring you back to Himself and He'll have compassion on you. If you want to think of it in terms of the, the most beloved story in all the Bible, which captures the heart of the, of the gospel, the, the parable of the prodigal son. If you, sometimes we end up in the pig pen because of the sinful choices we've made, because we've, we've ignored the will of God, we've rejected the will of God, and then we end up, our lives are in a mess. If we will turn back to return to our Father, what will we find? He will run to meet us like the father of the prodigal son. He will see you coming and he will run to meet you. He'll have compassion on you. I love this text, 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14, where the prophet says to the people of Israel, if my people, speaking for God, if my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And when God said that, they could not know at that time 
the price to himself, the price that God would pay, giving his own son to make that possible so that he could forgive. To give his son to bear our sins, to make possible our forgiveness if we'll turn to him. And he said, I'll forgive their sin, I'll heal their land. Sometimes we hear this passage cited about America, how we need a spiritual revival in America, how our nation needs to turn back to God. And if we as a people, as a culture, as a country would turn to God, that he would be gracious and forgive and heal our land. Because all the ills ultimately, the grievous problems that we're having in our culture are ultimately at root because we've spurned God. But, so that's something to think about, but I love the way the prophet Isaiah says it. Isaiah 55, 7, this appeal, let the wicked forsake his way. This is what I mean when I say under this point. We've got to turn around. You've got to forsake the other way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, yes, you've got to get your heart right, your mind right, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy. The Lord will have mercy. doesn't matter how badly you've messed up your life, how wrong you've been on that other path, how far down that way you've gone. The Lord will have mercy. Come back to the Lord. Some of you need to return to the Lord. You're on the wrong path. You continue on that course. Your soul is in danger. The Lord will have mercy on you. Come back to God. He will abundantly pardon. That's the promise God makes in the gospel of Christ. Now think of it in terms of, and when you do, then you need to yield to God, submit to God. That's getting off the other path, turning course, getting on the right path is a matter of yielding to God. So I want to go back to the text in Deuteronomy. Moses says something interesting here. Deuteronomy 30, now beginning in verse 11, remember he set the, the law before the people at length. And then he says, for, for this commandment, speaking of the, all the law, which I command you today, it's not too hard for you, nor is it far off. It's not in heaven that someone should say, well, who will go up and bring it down? It's not beyond the sea that someone should say, well, who will go over and bring it to us? This, Paul quotes this in Romans 10 when he talks about coming to faith in, in Christ, that the word is near us, that, that we, that's how we come to faith in God. But the point that he's making here is God is setting the law before them and it's something they could know. He wasn't making it obscure and difficult. He wasn't burdening them. It wasn't something so high and lofty and difficult that they couldn't comprehend it or so hard that they couldn't live it, that they couldn't practice it. No. We can, if we truly want to know God's will, we can understand. Now, it takes work. We have to really seek Him. We have to go to His Word. We have to look carefully at the law. We have to handle His Word correctly, 2 Timothy 2.15. We have to study, apply ourselves, seek and learn His way. But if we have good and honest hearts, we can understand what God expects of us to be saved, to become a Christian, to be saved from our sins, and to continue to live the faithful Christian life. Now that's encouraging. He says the word, and this is what Paul quotes again in, in Romans 10, the word's near you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart that you may do it. God hasn't set before us something to trip us up or uh, to, that, that, is, that is burdening us 
in some way. We can know it. I like the way Jesus puts it. John 7, 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, you have to really desire. You have to really want to do His will. But if you have that heart, you want to know, Lord God, what, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to be on that path? What do I need to do to continue to live that way so that I know I'm headed for eternal glory and the blessings that you provided, that I'm in the way of life. If you truly want to know, you can know God's will. He will know, Jesus said, whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. If we're honest with the evidence, we can know that God has spoken and we can know what the truth is about what we need to do to, to become saved and remain saved. And when you think of this, when he says, it's not too hard for you, Moses says to them. Many times people think that, you know, the Christian life, the, the commandments of God, it's an interference with your personal liberty. What do I want to be a Christian? You Christians believe it's wrong to do this and it's wrong to do that. And uh, you, you can't go out and just party and live any way you want. And so they think of God's commandments as an imposition. But the reality is God's commandments are not a burden. They're a blessing. 1 John 5, 3, His commandments are not burdensome. They're, they're, a, they're a blessing. They're designed to protect us. Deuteronomy 6, 24. Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13. Moses said, I'm giving you all these commandments this day for your good. God's way keeps us out of the snares uh, and the stumbling blocks and the pitfalls and all the destructive things on the course that leads to death. And so we can know and we can yield to God. But see, now here's the choice. I want us to think about the language here, and I want to frame it in a little bit different way. This is, this is essentially what we're, we're saying here, that we can either choose God's way. That's Life. Choose life, Moses tells them. But the other way is it's not so much that it's the way of the devil, that it's the way of, of sin and error. It's, it's really my way. In other words, will I surrender my will and submit my will to God's will? That's really what we're talking about here. That's really the choice that we face here. So think of it in those terms. And what Jesus tells us in John 12, 25 and Matthew 16, 24 and other passages is if, if we will surrender self rather than living selfishly in our own way, by our own wisdom, according to our own will, if we'll surrender to be on God's way, we'll find our true selves. So that's a beautiful irony there. So, so he gives the exhortation to choose life. He doesn't just set the ways before us. He pleads with us to make the right choice. He calls us to choose. He calls us unto himself. He doesn't want us to continue down that path. God sent the prophets to Israel to plead with them again and again when they were on the wrong course to come back to him. Cast away, Ezekiel 18, 31 and 32. Cast away from you all your transgressions. Why should you die? Why stay on that course? Why continue to spurn God, dear soul? Where is that going to lead you? The Lord says, I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. 
The way that's said in the New Testament, essentially, 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter tells us the Lord, he's not slack concerning his promise, as some would count slackness. He's not willing that any should perish. This is why God is being long-suffering, Peter says. That's why he's allowing the world to continue right now. That's why he's allowing me to take another breath, to live another hour. If I do live another hour, it's because he doesn't want us to perish. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's that turning around, getting off the path of self, getting on the path of God, the way of God. Now, going back to our text in Deuteronomy, again, it, it may be the case, you see, when we think, why would we continue on this course of sin and destruction? Why, why would you continue on that course when you could take the way of life? Well, it may be, a lot of people think they can follow that way, and in the end, they'll still be in heaven. So Moses, in case some had this false sense of security to think that somehow they could spurn the will of God and in the end it would still be okay with them. He says, Deuteronomy 29, going back to that same context, when he hears the words of this curse, the one who hears the reading of the law, and that he blesses himself in his heart saying, well, I shall have peace even though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. See, I can still follow my own way, but somehow I'll end up in the end with all the saved in heaven. He said, no. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and the curses written in, in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. So in other words, don't think, Tyler, that you can follow this course, your own will and your own way, and that somehow in the end it's going to turn out. This is the way Paul said it in Galatians 6, 7, and eight. If I think I can follow my own way and still end up saved in the end, that would be deceiving myself and making a mockery of God. So Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap destruction. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap eternal life. In other words, we will determine our fate, and what we choose will be. Where we end up will be, let me say it this way, because of the choice that we have made. Jesus said it this way famously, right? We're familiar with this from the Sermon on the Mountain. He urges us to get on the right path, to choose life. He said it this way, enter by the narrow gate. So he depicts the two ways. He depicts the choice that we have. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. So the blessing and the curse, life and death, when Moses says, I've, I've set before you life and death, this is Jesus' way. Uh, this is essentially saying the same thing. You've got the wide gate, the broad way that leads to destruction, but he says, but then the gate is narrow and the way is hard Look at the language here. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. So let me take those terms and put, us, put them before us. You have the way of life. You see, it's not just anything goes. Everyone has his own choice of beliefs and practices and lifestyles. And it's just the easy way that uh, whatever. No, it's a narrow way. It's restricted 
The parameters of it are restricted. The boundaries of it are set out by God and His Word. And it takes sacrifice. It takes commitment. It's the narrow way. Now, the easy way is to just follow self and end up in hell. So the hard way versus the easy way. The hard way, life, in the sense that it it involves self-sacrifice, self-discipline. It involves making a commitment to take up our crosses and follow Jesus, to be faithful to God regardless of the price. But compared to the consequences of the other way, it's easy. In that sense, Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, his burden is easy, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. But the broad way that leads to destruction, that's the path most people are on. It's the few, Jesus said, who find It's the few who will seek, who will be serious about really seeking and learning and following God's way, the few who find the way to eternal life. Now, that way, I want to define that for you this morning, again, in broad terms, but that way of life is only through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other road. All religions do not lead ultimately to glory with God. Jesus said, I am the way, right? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the only way. That whole sermon, I had a whole lesson on that. Uh, recently. How do you get in that way? You have to believe in Him. You have to come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is Lord, that God has raised Him from the dead, that He really is who He claimed to be. We believe in Him, and that faith needs to lead us to change. Remember, that's what we talked about, the, the turning around, a change in your heart that leads to a change in life, a change in course, getting off of our path, getting off of the path of sin and turning to walk in the way of God. That's repentance, right? The turn, Paul said it this way in Acts 26, 18 through 20, that preaching the gospel involves calling upon people to turn, to repent and turn to God, he said. And so that leads us to confess our faith, to express that, Romans 10, 9, and 10. With the mouth we confess that Jesus is Lord, and then we submit to baptism. We're immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. And according to Romans 6, 3 through 6, and Galatians 3, 26 and 27, that's when we enter into Christ, the way. That's when we're we're baptized into Christ, who is the way. That's how you enter into the way. But then we can wander off of that way, right? We saw that from what Moses said to the people of Israel, warning them and, and, and the prophets pleading with them to come back. We have to continue to walk in the light, 1 John 1, 7. And that's faithfulness to the Lord. Now, some of you have entered into the way, but you've departed from that pathway. Somewhere along the line, you've stopped and turned aside. You need to come back to the Lord. Some of you have not entered into that way yet. We'd be happy to look at these matters further with you to make sure you know you've entered into the way and you're on that way. I like the way Moses finally says it to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 30. He says, you know, I've set before you life and death, 
Choose life, here's the text, that you may live. And what does that involve? Loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, holding fast to Him. I love this language. For He is your life. It's not just His way. It's not just His commandments. It's not just some abstract laws and I do these things and if I do them then then I'm justified in the sight of God because of my obedience. No, because of our sin we need Christ. We need to be covered by the blood of Christ. It's about relationship with God. It's about those commandments are the context in which we are living out a life with God. He is our life. He's not just a part of your life. He's not even supposed to be the biggest part of your life. He is your life, Moses said. The way Paul says this in the New Testament is he speaks of Jesus, the Son of God, as our life. When Christ, who is your life, He's our source of life, our means of life, the way of life, our lives, Jesus Christ. How beautiful the imagery. So as we close, I want to give this exhortation once more. I got the text. Mom is watching. Just wanted you to know. Okay. Look, we have to choose. We can't choose both ways, and we can't choose neither. In fact, to fail to choose God's way is to choose the way of death. So we can't be neutral. We are everyone here and everyone watching, everyone listening. We're all on one of these paths right now. We see, thankfully, by the mercy and the grace of God, we have an opportunity to choose the right way. Choose the Lord's way. Choose God. Choose Christ. Choose life. If we can help you to do that, let us know. Let's stand and sing this song together.